0: Hello, and welcome to Clock Spinning, the podcast of Magic's history, as told card by card. I'm Austin, and with me, as always, is my co-host, Connor. How are you today, Connor? I'm pretty
1: good, but uh, my dog is a little sick to his stomach, um, so a little worried about him, but, but I'm great.
0: Okay, well, I'm, I'm glad you're good. Uh, did, he, did he eat some of these gross black cards from Betrayers of Kamigawa?
1: You know, he, he might have. We, we never know exactly where it's coming from but i wouldn't be surprised if he got into my
0: box of patron of the nizumi yeah that would do it or the Puskami. so connor we've, we've already kind of artfully teed it up do you want to introduce the listeners to today's topic
1: yeah so as we uh very subtly hinted uh we are talking about the or finishing up the black cards of betrayers of kamigawa so we'll be talking about everything from okiba gang shinobi All the way down to Eukora the Prisoner and finishing up Black and Betrayers.
0: Yeah, and if you're new to the show, uh, we do two things on the show, basically. And one of the things we do is we go card by card through every single card in the original Kamigawa block. And as we go through those cards, we're uh, building a cube. But more importantly, we're talking about each card. Uh, Where does it fit into Magic's history? How does it fit into EDH and cube and competitive history? How's the art? How's the flavor text? We're just getting deep and analyzing every card on the principle that every card has something interesting to say. So you can just start here if you're new to the show, uh, or you can jump back to episode one if you want to start at the very beginning of Kamigawa or episode 14 if you want to start with the beginning of Betrayers. Uh, There will be a link down in the show notes uh, to show you all the cards we're talking about today, or you can check it out on YouTube and we'll throw up an image of each card as we talk about it. Clockspending.com has all those links. I think that's all the preamble. Connor, should we just get started here? Let's get it going.
1: So the first card that we're talking about today is Okiba Gang Shinobi. This is three BB for a three-two rat ninja with Ninjutsu, uh, and if you're just now arriving at Ninjas in Magic, uh, Ninjutsu is pay in this case three into B, return an unblocked attacker you control to your hand, put this card into play from your hand, tapped and attacking, and whenever Okiba Gang Shinobi deals combat damage to a player, that player discards two cards. Oh, I I don't know what to think about this card. This is maybe the first card that we've reviewed in the more than a year we've been doing this now where i just put question mark question mark <laughs> i saw rating. that. I
0: feel like you're kind of abdicating your duty here
1: it is and i and i hate to do that on the first card of the episode but this one just just stumps me so i'm tempted to just insta-cut these rats even though they're ninjas because i worry that they might be very polarized in terms of play pattern so playing these as a five mana three two feels terrible yes it's not the worst five mana rate that we're going to see today (laughs) Uh, but it's not great but then if you manage to get this out with ninjutsu you're paying four mana for a three two and kind of getting a, a surprise lava spike plus mind rot that your opponent doesn't know is coming which i think you know neither of those cards sound that amazing but when you put them together in this environment i think
0: it could be a real whammy. So I just don't know how to feel. Yeah, this one's tough to get a beat on. I kind of would rather this card had like ninjitsu for two beat two and a B instead of three and a B, and just take like one card. The hi- the highs might be less high, but the lows would be less low, and this would just feel like a more evenly playable card. Um, I- the problem with this, we're gonna have another even more extreme example of this coming up, uh, later in uh three tragedies. But I think the biggest challenge for this thing is just turn four or five is. Often a little bit late for discard to matter. You know, I think the best case here is you connect once, they lose a land, and their worst spell, it's not the worst, it's not super impressive. I don't know. But then again, in that exchange, you're still up like two to three cards, even if they're not the best cards. Like, I feel like the more we actually play with this cube and play with this limited environment, the more I realize, like, this format is about basic games end in two ways in this format. Um, about 50% of the time, they end to some kind of obscene bomb like Maloku. Uh, and then the other 85% of the time, they end in like super grinding card advantage battles of one sort or another. And this is the card, kind of card you don't mind having in the super grinding card advantage battle.
1: It's interesting. A lot of the black cards in Kamigawa block generally, or the, the black cards that force your opponent to discard, do feel like they, at least on paper, would be too little too late. We saw this with the, the Myogen, or not the Myogen, the Honden of Knight's Reach. Probably the Myogen to <laughs> where the the discard is just coming, it feels like a few turns too late to really have the impact that you want. Especially discard like this, where your opponent is choosing the two cards that they want to discard, and they're obviously getting rid of uh the two things that they want least, uh, one of which will at least one of which will probably be a land. I I agree that this I think I would like this better if it ninja it out at three mana and just took one card. I think that would be fine and make it a lot more aggressive but maybe maybe getting in for three damage and taking a couple cards at four
0: mana is fine i think it's pretty fine yeah. yeah uh, so i am i have a couple more trivia type things here but why don't we get to ratings well so your question mark <laughs> i'm a playable 2x i don't think this thing i'm actually less worried about it overperforming than you are i feel like it's pretty telegraphed once you get hit by it once you're gonna watch out for it in future um and it does uh kind of force you to to block um and to engage in the ninja mind game so i, I feel fine about this i think that's probably right and honestly it you know is
1: guessing only going to connect once uh when a, a blocker gets in like there's there's not a whole lot of opportunities to in kamigawa block to get a ninja like this back into your hand so you can ninja it out again later so i think after that first hit this is just going to be a
0: 3-2 it is brutal with a though
1: <laughs> that is true So, yeah, I don't know. Playable 2X? Is that something you can live with? Um, I mean, I came into this uh, with basically no opinion about what
0: the rating should be, so I don't think I can disagree. All right. A couple other trivia things. I saw someone on Gatherers say that this is like a Star Wars pun with uh, Obi-Wan Kenobi. I could find no evidence of this except this one person on Gatherer, but I thought, maybe? Uh, Okay, yeah, sure. just leave that one there. One of the funny things about this card is it's actually seen a decent number of reprints in uh, Mystery Booster, Plane Chase, Historic Horizons, and it appears in 7,500 decks on EDH Rack. Wow. Yeah, the only way I can explain that is like, I guess if you're in EDH, like the Ninja decks and the Rat decks just really need all the Ninjas and Rats they can get their hands on. And I guess Discard 2 is not the worst in a late-game format like EDH.
1: Yeah, I I think that's probably right, that just every... I don't know that much about rats, but it it seems like ninja decks just kind of need every ninja that's been printed to have enough to make that a real tribal thing.
0: Yeah, I won't pretend to be a kind of rat deck expert. I'm not. I don't want to fool the listeners, but uh, I think uh, rat decks also (laughs) have to scrounge for playables. Uh, One more thing I'll leave the uh, listener with is I found a really fun contemporary article on Star City Games about like Mono Green, like a four-part series on Mono Green in Kamigawa Block Standard uh and mentioning this in the article about sideboard splashes as like an uncounterable discard effect in a mono green deck quote-unquote mono green deck against control and as a way to strip out tooth and nail against the tooth and nail deck and i i don't suspect this was common but i was intrigued that anyone was even trying it huh wow yeah i guess it is uncounterable discard which i guess so that's uh
1: something worth mentioning with ninjutsu
0: all right playable 2x Next up, we are continuing the patron cycle, a five-card patron cycle with the Patron of the Nazumi 5 bb b uh, for a 6-6 six, six legendary creature spirit. Uh, it has rat offering, uh, which means you may cast this card anytime you could cast an instant by sacrificing a rat and paying the difference in mana cost between this and the sacrificed rat. Mana cost includes color. And whenever a permanent is put into an opponent's graveyard, that player loses one life okay so seven mana six six with a kind of half of a blood artist effect uh and rat offering i don't know i i'm just like kind of over the patrons um there's something very frustrating about all these cards where none of them mechanically connect to what their tribe does and that drives me sort of bananas and they all also are kind of underwhelming in their abilities um like i guess they're big but, like, can't this just be blood artists? Can it be they lose one life and you gain one life? That doesn't seem OP. Like, ugh, I just, the cards are frustrating to me.
1: Yeah. The, the blood artist part of this especially drives me crazy. Like, this is a seven mana card and it, it's six, six, which is really big for Kamigawa, but it has no evasion. It has no protection. I guess it can have flash if you use rat offering. Yeah. But, but we cute. can't even get, can't even get blood artists on here. Like, it just, drains for one that feels like such a a pathetic effect on a card this big that's supposed to be like the legendary uh you know embodiment of
0: one of the tribes of this plane yeah really yes couldn't agree more although hold on connor damage on the stack you get in with your okiba gang shinobi they block it you sack it to the patron um and then you take advantage of the death that's going to happen in that combat. I don't know. <laughs> I'm reaching here.
1: Uh-huh. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Um. Sure. Actually, the the whole Flash thing, this is something I just sort of realized with Patron and the Nozumi, but it really bothers me that they, you know, we have this offering ability that was introduced in Betrayers and, as far as I know, never reintroduced anywhere else.
0: Nope. Oh, this is it.
1: <laughs> yeah. And one of the, I guess, interesting things about the offering ability is it allows you to flash in the patron when you otherwise wouldn't be able to if you're just, you know, casting it from your hand. But none of the patrons actually really take advantage of that flash, like flashing in at all, right? Patron of the Nozumi just drains for one life, which, you know, I, I guess there's a little bit of sneakiness you could get there. Like there, but I mean, no, no one's going to change the way that they're playing because they're thinking that a patron of the nezumi might be flashed out. The patron of the Kitsune gains you life.
0: Them having flash is weird. It doesn't feel like an ability that would ha- happen at instant speed. I don't mind it, but it it's just, it's kind of, I don't know, like does Emerge happen at instant speed? I don't think so. I, yeah, Emerge is sorcery speed, which makes sense.
1: <laughs> and the, the flash would make sense here if any of these had like an ETB effect, if they had any sort of immediate impact on the game state. But they don't. Like, the Flash is just so that they can get their big butts onto the battlefield at an unexpected time, I guess.
0: Yeah, no, like, they could all, like, you know, if we want to be crazy, they could all do something with the tribe that they nominally are patron of, like a lord effect, right? Like, so this one could have rats you control get plus one, plus oh, or something, right? Like... Some some reason to put it in at instant speed and something that thematically ties it to the tribe. The only thing tying the patrons to their tribe is that they eat them, which uh, I guess <laughs> no. is kind of is kind of metal, uh, but it's not it doesn't make a lot of sense uh, gameplay wise. I would not want to have any patron if you know if this was the situation that I'm in. I think the patron of the Aki gets across that these patrons are not like things they're necessarily grateful to be serving or worshipping. It's it's more like the old drag princess and the dragon in the fairy tale, you know, yeah. King Kong and the lady from King Kong.
1: You know, I was I was scrolling down to Patron of the Aki, which is the red version of this, and I was I could remember that the rules text said something about plus two plus oh, so I was thinking, Oh, is that one where the flash is actually relevant? But it's not relevant there either because the plus two plus zero triggers when the patron attacks. So none of these take advantage of Flash. None of them, except for maybe Patron of the Moon, have abilities that really not even like help their tribe, but even tie in with the tribe thematically in any way. Like there's nothing about losing one life
0: that says rat no um one thing i do like here i like kev walker's art it's kind of like an ur er rat it's like the a super rat and i think that's fun yeah yeah I, I like this one i like the i mean they all have gigantic mouths but it's really like 90 percent mouth in this one Got mouth and like gigantic rodent teeth i think yeah. that's pretty effective yeah it feels right i'm an insta cut on this thing i we let the other patrons in we may or may not have been too generous but that doesn't mean we have to keep that going
1: yeah, I had this at meh, I think because this is the only patron that I... No, well, I guess I have a patron of the moon. I have a patron of the moon and a patron of the nazumi in in a rare binder. Are we
0: making these decisions based on what you have in a shoebox somewhere? I, mean,
1: I'm, I think it's a subtle bias, but but we have the patron of the moon in. We can cut the nazumi. Let's just get rid of him. Okay, next up we have Psychic Spear. This is one black mana for a sorcery. Target player reveals their hand. Choose a spirit or arcane card from it. That player discards that card. Oh, flavor text. The wizards of Takenuma Swamp face the horrors of humanity every day. It's no wonder they fared so well against the Kami. Observations of the Kami War. Um, sure, with the flavor text, I <laughs> don't really have anything to latch onto or that I care about there. It's kind of uh, generic and uninteresting. The card itself
0: is, I think, really, really bad. <laughs> I think it might be the worst, you know, like there's a whole bunch of these single black mana discard spells. I think this might be the worst, like ever in in the entire game out of all like 30 odd of them. The worst discard spell ever. So we're just talking about the worst single black mana discard spell ever. Okay. Yeah. Okay. The only ones I think even compete are there a handful that just let your opponent choose what they're going to discard. For example, Raven's Crime, you know, single black mana, target player discards a card. But that has retrace, that has some ability to kind of keep getting the value. And there have been janky Raven's Crime decks over the years to try to break and abuse that. So all of the like ones that could be worse, like Raven's Crime or Pain, uh, or I should say Pain and Suffering, they all have some upside somewhere or modality or something to make up for their badness. This thing is just like a Kamigawa block duress. Uh, and honestly, I don't know why. This could actually just say, except for flavor reasons, choose a creature or arcane spell, and it would still be fine. I don't know. <laughs> this is really bad.
1: Yeah. I mean, even for the flavor reasons, like, is there other, other than the sort of, uh, I guess, top down mechanical flavor of, you know, sort of mortal cards fighting back against spirits? Like, there's no reason a psychic spear couldn't hit a mortal's head,
0: too, right? I think I think this is the old Kamigawa Sin, right? Of the top, the ultra top-down design gets in the way of the play here. Yeah, yeah, this is sort of the, the Ren spirit of Discard, but uh, a lot worse. Yeah, oddly, I did find a smattering of references in Star City Games articles that implied that this showed up in sideboards sometimes in, um, like, block constructed, which is shocking to me. But I, I found, like, four or five references. I can never find a deck with it in the deck list, but I found references to playing against it. So... That's an interesting little Mm. mystery.
1: I mean, yeah, I guess it is very much a sideboard card. Like, you would not want this unless you knew that your opponent had a high density of spirits and or arcane cards. As we've discussed with the arcane cards, they're probably not going to have a very high density of arcane uh, because we are cutting a lot of them because they're pretty bad. But, you know, maybe you'd have a decent chance of hitting a spirit. And I did wonder, with... How our cube currently stands, which is at 673 cards as we're recording this. (laughs)
0: We're going to cut it down.
1: (laughs) We'll we'll work on getting it down. So of the 673 cards that are currently in the cube, that includes the mana base, this hits 271 of them. So that's about 40%. And then if we exclude the mana base, uh, meaning lands, then we're at 44% of non-land cards being spirits or arcane.
0: It's not the worst.
1: It's not the worst, so assume, call, call me out if I'm doing this math wrong, but assuming we have about 17 lands per deck and forty-four percent of non-land cards are going to be spirits or arcane, this has about a twenty-five percent hit rate.
0: Uh hold on. Let me let me sanity check you on that. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, I, I guess
1: twenty-five percent per card hit rate.
0: Is that that bad? Especially this is coming really on the sideboard? I mean,
1: you know, it's Impossible not to compare this to Duress, and I have no idea what the stats would be like for Duress in the average limited game. But
0: twenty five percent doesn't seem as bad as I expected. Yeah, I mean, I don't think it's amazing. I kind of want to try it out just because it's so weird, and I I just have no sense of whether it's play. Like, I, I don't want. I guess I don't want to write it off. You know, like I feel I feel enough uncertain. I'm certain that yeah. outside of our cube, this is like literally the worst one mana discard spell ever printed. But in our cube, I feel like it could have a role. It it might.
1: And it like as we were just talking about with the shinobi, it this is much cheaper discard than pretty much any other card in our little format.
0: So yeah, maybe we do try it. It is also like as kanigawa as a card can get. That's true. That's very true. How do you feel about the art here? To me, it's like freaky, but somehow doesn't create much of an emotional response. Like it's just so weird and kind of goofy that i i uh, it kind of comes out the other side of freaky and i'm just like kind of left cold
1: there's something about it that feels really staged to me like the just the way that this uh i guess wizard of Takinuma swamp is positioned behind the kami like exactly behind the kami in this pose with the psychic spear like coming out of his hands and then curling around and then going through the kami at like it feels like someone was telling the kami, "Okay, move a little bit to the left, a little bit forward." <laughs> Wizard, uh, get your spell ready. Uh, make it curl up a little bit more for the dramatic effect. Like, there's just something sort of
0: staged and unnatural about it. This kami is also weird, like almost too weird, even by kami standards. Of like, I just can't even tell what's going on with it. Like, it has a face, and then after that, it's just. I don't know. It, it's parts don't even seem to be connected together. Like there's a hand off to the right. And then there's like a floating jalapeno. Um, <laughs> uh, and then just some mass jalapeno com- below. Commie. Jalapeno commie. Um, uh, okay. So, well, uh, where does that leave us? I'm like a mad two X, which I think might be insanely generous, but I kind of want to try it. I, I think that's right. Okay. I, I, I wasn't confident, but yeah, let's go with that. <laughs>
1: Yeah, I mean, I'm feeling like as, we, as we're as we coming up on getting ready to make some more cuts from the cube a little more aggressively, you know, I guess we'll need to put a little more thought into sort of the what each color is trying to do, the different things they can do. Uh, and I feel like having this in to sort of represent a bit of discard for black could be useful.
0: Mm-hmm. it also does something kind of different i think one of the problems we're running into is a lot of cards do pretty similar things like the design palettes were just more limited back then and this this fills a different role that is true yeah okay next up we have the grossly named pus commie uh Puskami is five bb for a three three spirit uh, b and Sacket uh destroy target non-black creature and then soul shift six And Soul Shift as a reminder is when this creature dies, you may return target's spirit card with mana value six or less from your graveyard to your hand. Well, uh, honestly, where I want to start here is that I'm grateful that a card called Puskami is not that gross to look at. Because this could have, like if you'd handed this to Ron Spears or something, it could have gotten ugly. Um, But it's more like a kind of abstract horror. Oh, he would have had a field day. Oh, my goodness. yes, uh, he's he was probably mad. He said, you put you had a pus call me in this set and you didn't give it to me. <laughs> they didn't tell him until after. Uh, so this is a this card is basically a black hill giant stapled to seal of doom. um seal of doom being two and a B uh, enchantment that you sack it to destroy target non-black creature. There is a damage on the stack perk here. I just want to point that out. So you have that kind of root runner like three for one potential of kill their thing, kill another thing get a thing back from your graveyard. So that's kind of cool. This is, this is not impressive. I want to be clear. It's a, it's a seven mana three, three. Honestly, though, we left Kuro Pit Lord in the cube and I would pick this over Kuro Pit Lord like almost every time. <laughs>
1: uh, yeah, but I mean, I don't, I don't know. I just, I look at this and I cannot get over seven mana three, three, seven mana three, three, even with damage on the stack, even with the ability to potentially get a three for one, which I'm not even sure is going to come up that often based on how small graveyards have been in a lot
0: of the games we played yeah your opponent would have to kind of sleepwalk into it too of like they're not going to block it right so (laughs) they're not going to give you a favorable uh trade there so you have to just hold it back i guess
1: yeah so then this sort of in that sense like i guess you can trigger the destruction at any time but this is sort of like a seven mana three three flyer or unblockable because your opponent's not going to take the bad trade so then i guess at some point you just Sacrifice your Puskami uh, without any kind of damage on the stack benefit and best case scenario, take out a Spirit Dragon, which I guess feels good, but could also have a Spirit Dragon for six mana.
0: Should we just insta-cut this
1: thing and move on with our lives? That's what I've got it at. I just don't think this gets there, even, even in this block. All right, let's do it. Okay, let's move to a much better rate. This is Scourge of Numai, 3B for a 4-4 Demon Spirit. At the beginning of your upkeep, you lose two life if you don't control an ogre. And the flavor text says, Where a once-proud human city stood, only the ruins of Numai remain, deep amid rotting bamboo and plagued by Oni. So, kind of some nice, you know, stage setting there. A little more background on Numai. I'm actually pretty high on this guy. We had a test game recently where I had a raving Oni slave, which is a 2-mana 3-3. Three, three that makes you lose three life uh, when it enters the battlefield, lose three life again when it leaves the battlefield. But just having like a a two-mana black creature that's swinging in for three every turn put a huge amount of pressure on you. And I feel like Scourge of Numai fits into that same category where obviously a four-mana 4-4 is nothing to write home about now in contemporary magic, but within the space of Kamigawa, a four-mana 4-4 is a heavy
0: hitter. Okay, but like I feel like a two mana three three and a four mana four four are mathematically very (laughs) different things. Like one is an objectively great rate, and like this one is like an objectively okay rate. Um, now admittedly, I think it's kind of hard to um turn off my magic, my like modern magic playing glasses when I look at this card. That said, it actually this is a little permit me a little historical aside like this actually it took a while for magic to clearly surpass this thing. This block conclude includes the closest thing magic had yet seen to a no downside like four four for four in black. Um, that would be Hirobi, who is uh, as a downside technically, but a lot of times the downside is your upside. Um, the first unambiguous like four mana four four with upside in magic in black is uh, Ashling the extinguisher and morning tide. Um, But that's 2 B. So the first time we get a true like 3 and a B, 4-4, four, four, no downside, all upside, it actually took all the way until 2021 with Kaldheim. So little historical wow. aside there. I thought that was kind of fun. I know. But I still think this thing's pretty terrible. Um, I found a fun uh, Star City Games article uh, called Ways in which Scourge of Numai can turn out badly. Uh, it's just like a draft <laughs> report from a premiere event, and they report dying to this zero times while its controller died two times, Um, which obviously that's anecdata, but I don't know. I feel like two life every upkeep, that's that's a lot, Connor.
1: Okay, but this this brings us to something that I think I will be returning to throughout the episode, and that I've been thinking about, which is that this whole ogre-oni synergy package that we've been talking about and kind of dumping on, might, I feel like might actually be a thing, or could be a thing if we put enough ogres and enough oni in. So one of the complaints that we had about this ogre oni theme in kamigawa um, which you know sees a lot of cards like this one where uh, you kind of get an above rate creature with uh, sometimes a big sometimes a smaller downside if you don't have a corresponding ogre or demon um, and we've we've kind of criticized all those cards for not really having any kind of payoff uh, if you do manage to get the board that has a demon and an ogre. But the more I think about it, the more I feel like just having really strong creatures for the rate that you're playing them at kind of is the payoff. And I feel like it might
0: actually work. I'm less convinced. So I'm an instacot. I'm willing to come up a little. What about a build around, Connor? Well, okay. I thought about build around and I have another, I think, Demon
1: as a build around later in the episode, so I don't know if I want to call every single demon and ogre a build around because they're demons and ogres. But maybe we, I guess we can call it meh for now. I just I don't want to cut out all the demons and all the ogres yet because I feel like maybe we can. Connor, I hope your
0: different. other build around isn't y- Yukora,
1: is it? That's going to be a no comment on that one. Oh boy, um, I- I'm just going to let you rate this one. Just, just meh 1x, meh placeholder 1x for us to, to come back and, and look at the demons and, and ogres we have and see if there's something there. Sure.
0: All right, let's move on to Shire, Shizo's Caretaker. Four and a B for a legendary spirit. It's a 2-2. Whenever a creature with power one or less is put into your graveyard from the battlefield, you may return that card to the battlefield at the beginning of the next end step if Shire is still on the battlefield. Interesting card. Uh, It's a really cool effect. This is uh, one of the most popular uh, commanders we'll talk about in this whole block. Um, It's a totally unique effect in black in particular. I just don't know how well positioned this is like in our cube. Um, Only 11 out of our 72 black creatures meet this bar. Uh, although 101 out of our 351 do total, which is a little bit better. So there's like a live the dream scenario here. The live the dream scenario here is recurring the Zubera. The Zubera are uh, one, two spirits from champions that love to die. Perhaps even better than that is Kami of False Hope, which is a white, uh, single white for a 1-1 that you sack it mm-hmm. to prevent all combat damage. So you can just fog forever, uh, which is kind of amazing. And it's also fun with a few other cards like Kaijin of Vanishing Touch and Sakura Tribe Elder. But apart from that, apart from those uh, eight cards, there's really not that many cards that synergize with it, um, at least actively. And then it does have some kind of awkward anti-synergy, particularly with the Bushido cards. So Bushido is, you know, when a creature is blocked or becomes blocked, it gets bigger. A lot of those are 1-1s, but this checks power when the creature dies, not when it hits the graveyard. And so if it's been boosted, by Bushido, it ain't coming back, and that that's kind of awkward. I'm really glad you mentioned the
1: Bushido because a lot of the one power creatures that we have in the cube are white Bushidoing samurai who are not not going to get the benefit of this if they're trading in combat. I do like that Shire has just one designated mana in the mana cost. Like, I don't know Uh what the deck is where you'd actually have enough one power creatures that you like and care about to bother including Shire, but if you do want to- (laughs) Zubera deck. Zubera, yeah. If you you want to splash, it's very doable. Um, You're probably going to have that black mana by the time you get to turn five to play this. So I do like that. I love, this is a really like high ceiling card, not in the sense that I think it's necessarily going to win games- but high ceiling in the sense that it can do some cool, ridiculous, funny things like with Kami of False Hope or the Zubera. Or on a like smaller scale, just even just getting your Hanakami back and continually retrieving an arcane spell from your graveyard. That's cool. Fun. Yeah, that's a cool interaction. Yeah, so I, I feel like Shire is sort of the the quintessential build around for a cube like this, especially now when we don't really know how many one power creatures we're going to end up with when everything's said and done. I feel like having him here as a build around is just right.
0: Yeah, I'm down for that. Uh, should we just uh, settle on build around? I have a t- teeny bit more trivia, but this feels like a build around 1X to me. Yeah. Like even if it's not that good, it's just a fun thing to have in the cube. It adds it adds more interest and variety to the cube. And And I think more
1: than most of the cards that we've called build around so far, uh or wanted to call build around <laughs> like it's actually a build around. it's actually a build around like you see this card come up in a pack and you think oh okay if i if i pick this up early this is what i'm trying to do get you know one power creatures that let me take advantage of this if you just happen to have a lot of one power creatures you're happy to see this so it's actually pushing you to build your deck in a certain way
0: this is probably crazy and probably a reflection that our cube is way too big and needs some aggressive cutting but like Should we have two of these? I feel like the odds that you get like this in your deck and then it actually shows up in games are pretty slim. (laughs) Ah disregard. That feels weird.
1: Yeah, I feel like the the real solution here is to, you know, cut the cube to a reasonable (laughs) size.
0: All right.
1: Yeah. And you know, if we if we really love a Shurei deck, if it ever comes together, then, you know, maybe we can think about throwing another one in.
0: Sounds good. Um, One more fun little note on this guy. This effect of like infinitely recurring things with no cost and no real conditionality is extremely unusual. Um, As far as I can tell, there's only two other cards in the game that do that. Uh, Enduring Renewal, uh, which is a a strange enchantment originally from uh, Ice Age. Uh, and then Linde, the uh, Curses-themed commander, I believe are the only cards in the game that do this, uh, kind of continually recur things for free. So mm. that's that's wow. powerful. That's that, Anything that's that unique is usually somewhat powerful. Yeah, can see why Shira is popular.
1: Next up, we have Sickening Shoal, XBB for an instant arcane. You may remove a black card with converted mana cost X in your hand from the game rather than pay Sickening Shoal's mana cost target creature gets minus x minus x until end of turn i think this is hands down the best shoal in our cube uh maybe followed by the red one and maybe even black's best hard removal in this whole format like this can just be a free kill anything spell
0: and (laughs) that is not something you see every day in kevigawa so I don't know if I'm prepared to follow you all the way to best hard removal spell, but I do think this is a uh, very strong removal spell in our format. Uh, I think the key advantage this thing has is that like compared to the other shoals, at least the two we've talked about so far, is it like actually does something. <laughs> like the white and the blue ones are both just so insanely conditional that you just have to set up the perfect scenario and you have to be exactly ready to really use it in a max effect. This thing just like kills things. Uh, and that's something you want to do in... I mean, almost every game of limited magic, but certainly in every game with our cube, you want to kill things. And I feel like the primary mode here is not the uh, exile mode. It's just the uh, pay the cost. And yeah, it's pretty expensive when you have to do that. But the fact that you have this free roll option to exile something, I think is huge. Uh, so yeah, I'm, I'm quite high on this thing. The fact that you can just play this for free,
1: I think also has some value of just being a very unexpected <laughs> effect in, in this set, you know, there's there's a decent amount of removal. It's not super efficient compared to other environments, I don't think. There's only one card in this cube that you can potentially play completely for free. So I think it has a little bit of a surprise value, too, where even if you're not leaving mana up, you might still have a Sickening Shoal. And I kind of like the idea of still think, having to think about, you know, maybe if your opponent's in black, they might be able to throw a Sickening Shoal
0: at one of your creatures. Hmm. And you know what, Connor? The other thing that's sick about this card, the art is sick. I really, really love this art. Sick. Okay. Sick as in you love it. It's also pretty nasty. There's a lot of vomit. I'll admit it. <laughs> but I love that we see these same fish that show up in uh, several other uh, arcane spells um, showing up here to barf all over. Um, somehow it doesn't gross me out. I, don't really, I think I the barf I'm just kind of abstracting away. Uh, it's very distressing, but not in a like over the top grody way. It's more psychologically disturbing.
1: Yeah, and it's not really like human barfy barf. It's just <laughs> kind of like green sludge.
0: Yeah, it's like bile. Yeah, it's it's uh they're bile bile barfin fish. It's really hard to get through these black episodes without something really gross. Sorry about that, <laughs> listeners. <laughs> yeah,
1: <laughs> it is. I honestly, I feel bad for the spirit fish in this art. i mean i I guess they're the ones doing the sickening but they just they look really um they really look like they're having a hard time
0: you know so uh what's your rating on this i'm a playable 1x i have this as an auto include 1x and is that on power level is that because this is iconic um
1: as far as i know it's not really an iconic card the way that the you know
0: maybe the green nourishing shoal is and yet it's kind of better in our cube i think than the actually iconic green and red shoals yeah i think this is absolutely the best
1: shoal in the cube like i i have it as an auto include because i honestly don't see a scenario where we would cut this high high efficiency removal of a type that we
0: just don't have very much of yeah checks out for me cool All right, let's go to uh, Skullmane Baku, a card that I don't think is iconic by almost any measure. Skullmane Baku is 3 BB for a 2-1 Spirit. Whenever you cast a Spirit or Arcane spell, you may put a key counter on this. And one tap, remove X key counters. Target creature gets minus X, minus X until end of turn. Okay, well, uh, this thing's polarized. Uh, We talked about some other polarizing things. So the upside here is Recursive Killing. That's pretty good upside uh, in a grindy format like this one. Uh, the downside is, well, there's manifold downsides. Um, I think one down- obvious downside is a five mana two one. And that is, uh, that is a terrible stat line uh, by any measure. It almost couldn't be worse. Um, and the other downside is that like you want to accumulate these spirit and arcane triggers, these spirit craft triggers. Um, and a five mana, you're going to have missed a lot of them by the time this thing actually hits the board. That said, I do think he presents some inevitability, and I think the getting counters on it is almost a red herring, and that like two counters on this are enough counters for this to have a real impact on the game uh and make combat math a nightmare at a minimum. And or just snipe down key permanents. So I'm I'm like a meh on this, meh one X. I I don't know. I mean, the the five mana to
1: one is is pretty bad, but I think uh you spoke to the real problem with this card, which is that by the time you're getting this out at five mana, like I honestly don't know how many more spirit and arcane spells you're going to be able to play in that game. Like we talked about with, with psychic spear, what are the chances of actually hitting a spirit or arcane spell when you cast that? That's something you can play on turn one. So with Skullmane mm-hmm. Baku, what are the chances that you will have probably like more than one? spirit or arcane spell that you're able to cast on turn six or later to get a key counter on this baku before uh it's one toughness dies to something like it's it's just so hard for me to see this being anything really like even if you get the the killing ability off once you're removing the key counters whenever you do that so let's say you get you do get two key counters on skull baku you manage to play a spirit and an arcane spell and get those on there and then kill something with the baku now you're back to square one right you have to get two more to be able to to get back there so i don't really it's it's really hard for me to see a scenario where this is actually like a recursive killing effect you know what we keep talking about shrinking the cube let's just insta cut this thing and move on yeah i also want to just mention this is the worst rate black (laughs) creature in the block uh (laughs) Unless, oh, unless no. you count Kagemaro first to suffer from oh, Saviors, no. who can be a five mana zero zero in the worst case scenario. So that's pretty, pretty rough for the Baku. Okay, we're back to another ninja with Skull Snatcher. This is one and a B for a two one rat ninja with ninjutsu for one black mana. Whenever Skull Snatcher deals combat damage to a player, remove up to two target cards in that player's graveyard from the game. And I really should just be saying exile up to two target cards for that player's graveyard. I feel like if, if ninjas are going to be anything close to a thing in the cube, we kind of need Skull Snatcher to be a part of that team. He's a 2-mana two 2-1, two which is fine. Uh, and if you ninja him out, he's a 1-mana 2-1, which is kind of insane in Kamigawa. I don't know how often the exiling from the graveyard is really going to be that relevant, but you know it is just kind of a nice upside. And for once... On a creature whose rate isn't really being punished for having an effect.
0: Yeah, I feel like um the effect here is pretty notional, and I'm fine with that. I think actually a lot of the nin- other ninja effects are, if anything, kind of too strong, or at least yeah, they're kind of too on or off, right? It's like when they connect once, they have a really game swinging effect. And so I'm kind of okay with this just having a minor, like, hose the soul shift deck kind of effect. And that's actually a thing you don't mind having. Yeah. Yeah, I I feel like ninjas need to be a thing in the cube. They are probably the most iconic thing from the block in people's memory. They're the longest lasting legacy that this set has given magic in terms of direct mechanical lineage. And so, yeah, I feel like this needs to get in the cube. Yeah, agreed. One thing I'm not hot on about all of the black ninjas, uh, Skull Snatcher, uh, the Okiba gang shinobi earlier is like, I don't know why they're all wearing fetish gear, but I don't like it. I don't like these kind (laughs) of lanky ropey muscular rats and fetish gear it's just it's the opposite of doing it for me
1: don't forget ink eyes she's sort of the the patron of uh, rat
0: it's true fetish gear yeah absolutely good point
1: I, th- I think that just comes with the territory for for these rat ninjas and with this rat in particular i really have to admire uh its dedication to the craft <laughs> of ninjutsu i mean this okay. rat is like swimming in what seems like a like a pool of acid like, this yeah. looks like the Mephedras or something from Mirrodin. I would not want to swim in whatever this rat is swimming in to exile a couple cards from a graveyard. So, you know, kudos.
0: That's true. It's really it's really dedicated to the team, you know? It's not just about its its own interest. It's really doing its part for you as the Planeswalker. Right, right. It's trying to make sure uh,
1: nothing's getting reanimated or soul-shifted.
0: Yeah. Yeah, it's one of those things you can't think too closely about how exactly it works. I guess it wades through this green horrible acid swamp and once it takes your skull you can't come back oh yeah i didn't even think about the name i guess it's yeah it's like a grave robbing rat it's kind of like how medieval people were you know didn't like cremation or something anything because they were afraid they wouldn't be able to be resurrected right um without their whole bodies maybe that's how it works on camigo i don't know how that works with the spirits exactly yeah uh
1: that's uh, something to think about
0: yeah, we can work on the cosmology of that later. I'm a playable 2x on this, Connor. That is exactly where I landed. Boom. All right. Let us uh, move on to Stir the Grave. Stir the Grave is X and a B for sorcery. Return target creature card with mana value X or less from your graveyard to the battlefield. In the flavor text, your lungs may not draw breath, but while your hands can grip a sword, you will be useful to me night eyes Nozumi necromancer okay well first of all that's some pretty cool flavor text that's that's uh that's pretty badass i like that um the actual effect here is pretty abysmal on rate right like there's already a lot of graveyard recursion in the block both in the form of soul shift but also uh some other decent return a creature to your hand effects like um oh shoot connor what is that arcane one uh that you can kind of keep recurring with hanakami oh goodness uh, what is that what is it Soulless Revival. You know, Soulless Revival is a pretty good recursive ability to get things back. So I'm not like impressed by this, but I do like it as basically the only reanimation effect in the block that's lasting. Uh and I think that in itself is worth something.
1: Yeah, I'm I'm actually pretty high on this card. I don't know how much reanimation we really need or want in the cube. We've had a couple games where Night Eyes the Desecrator came out and he basically has five mana reanimate something from either graveyard. Um, oh, and actually it's Night Eyes in the art and flavor text here, so that's kind of perfect. Um but Night Eyes has been like surprisingly low impact in several games, uh, even just being able to do that every single turn. I'm not sure how good reanimation is going to be, but I do think Stir the Grave is perfectly reasonable. Like this isn't a super interesting card, you know, you're just you're paying an amount based on The converted mana cost there's no real way to like cheat this or do something sneaky you're gonna pay you know one plus the value of a card to basically play it again but as far as i could tell from just a little bit of scryfall searching not nothing super thorough i think this is a completely unique effect to just pay x and a B, and reanimate something with no limitations other than the cost of the target
0: yeah, I feel like that's because it's uh,
1: often a rotten deal. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> um. Literally, like there's there's no way to make this more efficient than whatever creature you're trying to reanimate. So that's a drawback, but I, st- you know, I still feel like this can have a place.
0: This is part of a, a mini genre of cards in the block. We've seen a few of, I think, where it kind of feels like Wizards intended this to be an evergreen card and that it was just not good enough, right? And I feel like the hint at that is this doesn't have an arcane type, it doesn't have a super Kamigawa-ish name. Uh, we saw that, I think, with some other things like Commune with Nature, like, um, oh, what else did we see along these lines? Hinder, uh, Quash, Reduce to Dreams. Like, I feel like we've seen a decent number of these things that feel like they were meant to be kind of core set staples, but actually just weren't good enough to be core set staples. Uh, that's just an aside on this. So anyway, I'll to say, I'm not impressed by the raid here. Final judgment is the one that really sticks out to me is like, oh, maybe this was
1: supposed to be the new Wrath of God at 6 mana. Um, Absolutely. Yeah, because like that had, that just screams, you know, Kami all over it and I I think we were just really scratching our heads over why that's not arcane. I think
0: I think you nailed it. That's exactly why uh, one thing I do like about this card, I'm not that down on it, by the way. I, I do think it's a decent enough card. I think the art here is funny. Uh, there's not a lot of humorous art in Kamigawa, but the particularly the, uh, the zombie kind of on the left side of the art, it's just something about his facial expression cracks me up. He, he just looks goofy as he's kind of struggling to get up from the ground and looking like uh, comically sinister. Yeah,
1: I'm, I'm, like all three of the zombies or skeletons being revived here, they all kind of have like a big like skeleton grin. On yeah. their faces in a way that makes them really unthreatening and kind of costume-like. So yeah, I, I like that too. So what does all that amount to? I mean, I've got this at a playable 1X. I'm not super married to that.
0: I think playable's generous, but it also feels like a unique enough effect that I, probably it makes it to the final cube regardless. And not in a like psychic spear, we should just try this to see what happens, YOLO kind of way, but in a like, this can't be so bad that it won't, you know, yeah. that it needs to be cut.
1: Yeah, I I think this will, you know, it's not going to be a very high pick, but I think this will actually see play.
0: All right, let's go playable 1x then.
1: Okay, we've got another Ogre. It's Numa Bleeder. 2b for 3-3 Ogre Shaman. Uh, Whenever it attacks or blocks, you lose one life if you don't control a demon. This is um, very much like Scourge of Numai, uh, which was a 4-mana 4-4. Here we've got a 3-mana 3-3 with a somewhat painful drawback not quite as bad as scourge of numai i see you have this at a uh, very different rating than i do um so i'd like to hear your thoughts on it before i uh go
0: back into my ogre oni cave okay let's let's i i want to i want you to take us through your ogre oni cave but i don't know i'm just kind of fed up um i'm fed up with uh some of these kamigawa rates <laughs> <laughs> um, this is a three mana card with a pretty substantial downside. And what I get out of that at the other end is like Gnarled Mass. And I just, I, that, that's frustrating to me. Um, I, particularly because the three drop slot in black is actually pretty stacked. There's a lot of pretty damn good cards in our cube at the three drop slot in black. So for example, at three, we have Mizumi Ronin. We have Ogre Marauder. We have Thief of Hope. We have villainous ogre. I feel like all of these are cards I would rather have than this card. Okay, that
1: that last part is somewhat persuasive to me. But let me let me walk you through my logic on Takinuma Bleeder. I think you're an insta cut on this guy. I'm at, at playable and starting to rethink it. But let's let's break down the three mana three three stat line of this guy. So this is one of four three mana three threes in the block. You mentioned gnarled mass, which is one. GG for a 3-3 with no drawback and no upside, just a plain old vanilla creature. The other two three mana three-threes in Kamigawa block, which are Skull Collector and Sokenzen Renegade, have severe enough drawbacks, I would say, to maybe be unplayable. So yeah. we're really just left with Gnarled Mass and Toganuma Bleeder as three mana three-threes. Fair?
0: Yes, agree.
1: So going going back to the Ogre Oni cave. Like We keep talking about it not really having any payoff, but I feel like here, if if we have the right concentration of Ogres and Onis in the cube, then you have a decent chance of just being able to play this as a gnarled mass, basically, in Black, and your Scourge of Numai as a 4-mana four 4-4 four, four, or whatever it was from <laughs> uh-huh. uh-huh. Kaldheim that was similarly standard. You're trying
0: studded. to tie these two together, so I have to include both of them.
1: Well, I mean, I think, I think that they're a package, and... Maybe not every Ogre and Oni is a build around, like we said, but I do feel like if we're going to have some of them in, except for the most powerful ones, which we, I think, talked about in Champions, then we need a decent number of them. And I think, I feel like there could actually be kind of a janky, high rate, mid range black deck there. All of that said, as you point out, the three drop slot in black is already very full. And I think we've even mentioned that with cards that were not
0: ogres or onis.
1: So maybe, maybe he doesn't make the cut.
0: So I'm torn here because this ogre oni thing is a very unique thing to Kamigawa block. It's a fun little paired mechanic. Um, it's parasitic, right? And that you need like a good density of it for it to work at all. And uh, I don't know, that's hard. It's like how much of our, it's like including storm in, you know, in a cube, right? Like it's a very fun, unique thing but it requires including a lot of cards that are close to unplayable if you uh, if you don't bring the deck together, right? Like this card on its own maybe makes a deck, maybe doesn't. I don't think Scourge of Numai makes a deck on his own. Like these cards are all kind of unplayable on their own. So I feel like probably what we should do is include them for now. And then when we get to our cuts episode, which I think is coming in a few episodes. I think we need to take like a hard look at these and really like just crunch the numbers. You know, can we include enough of these to make it come together without, like, com- like dedicating way too much of our black section to this ogre oni thing?
1: I think that's right. Like, if it's tough because I think you're you're spot on with the storm comparison, except that uh, you don't get any like big exciting flashy payoff from ogres and odys. You just get like at or above rate creatures compared to everything else in the block. It is tough. Because we we would need to have enough of them in there to, you know, make them appear often enough in packs that you're able to pick them up and spot that there's something going on with Ogres and Onis and also have enough of them to get the payoff coming up in, you know, it, when you're actually playing. And then there's a second question of, is all of that worth it? Is that having that density of Ogres and Onis worth it when we think about all of the other black creatures that we would have to cut to make room for them.
0: Right. I think, I think the real, yeah, uh, the way I would crystallize that is like, it's an opportunity cost, right? Like what are we leaving yeah. on the floor in order to do that? Um, and I think there's at least three other things that we really want black to do in my mind ahead of the only thing. Um, the first is uh, maybe four even um like the first is just removal right the kind of classic black role in any limited environment Uh, i think the second one uh is the ninjas uh half of our ninjas are blue half are black i feel like we need to include pretty much all of them to make it work i think the third is like a grindy uh soul shift deck that's that's a fun black green archetype um and then i would say like a black aggro deck now that's where i think these may have some hope like if we can marry this up well with like Wicked Akuba and the other kind of key black aggro creatures, like maybe there's some way to make this work. Like maybe, for example, we cut a bunch of the Nazumi Ronins or all of the Nazumi Rodins in order to focus on Ogre Marauders and Takenuma Bleeders, right? And we just don't, we don't go as hard on, we, may, we make the bar high for a, most of these other mid-range black uh, aggro inclined creatures.
1: Okay, I think I think I like that because I, I do Hello. feel like these are the the deck that these ogres and oni's are a part of is the, you know, black aggro to kind of mid-rangey sort of deck. Maybe they the ogres and oni's bump the other 3 drops instead of the other way around and like we see whether the downside is mitigated often enough to make it interesting and also I think whether the downsides are really bad enough to keep you from playing them anyway. So Where does that leave us with the Bleeder?
0: Uh, This is another one where I kind of want to defer to you. I think we should include it, at least for now. Okay, should we uh, treat it like Scourge of Numai and call it a meh 1x? Yeah, that works for me to start. Also, this card has gotten one reprint in uh, Jumpstart in the Demons theme, and I just think that's funny. That is funny. Oh, I wanted to mention the,
1: the art here as well in conjunction with the flavor text, which is, I prefer to weave my magic through Oni blood but yours will do in a pinch. I'm not a fan of that flavor text or of this art. This is a Kev Walker piece showing an ogre sort of beckoning at the viewer, and it looks like he's really getting up in your face. Yeah. I don't like anything about this. It's such a bland color palette. I don't see why anyone would let this thing get close enough to them to be beckoning like that. The flavor text is like on the nose and a little bit silly. I quite like this art, actually. Um, <laughs> I find what the flavor like text kind of cornballed.
0: I like how threatening it is. I like how kind of up in his in our face he is. Like I like that a quarter of the frame is basically his hand. It's kind of an unusual um, angle. It pulls you into the art. And I like that he's uh, pretty freaky looking. Okay, Fair enough. Whew, that was, uh, I'm going to go out on a limb and say that's the longest conversation ever about talking to him a bleeder. <laughs> that that may be one of our longest conversations
1: about any card so far
0: <laughs> particularly an unplayable card that's <laughs> for talking to bleeder but it is always the unplayable ones that kind of uh slow us down it's, or the hard to evaluate ones right it's easy to include the dragons right right these these challenge us a lot of times when we get to the auto includes or the real bombs we just say yeah
1: of course we're gonna have this in
0: all right let's get to another uh Tricky card, Uh, three tragedies. Three tragedies is three BB for a sorcery arcane. Target player discards three cards. And the flavor text, as the kami passed over the village of Mita, the inhabitants relived their three most grievous tragedies. Some cried, some raged, some were driven to madness. But the next morning, none possessed the will to fight. Observations of the Kami War. Uh, so this has a uh, very cool flavor text. Uh, it's got a very cool name. I love Three Tragedies. That's like a little fairy tale in two words. Um, I'm less impressed by the art here, which is just like a dude with a headache. Uh, and I'm also not very impressed by the effect. Uh, and the reason is, I, like, I think this is kind of a quadrant test card. Like in the early stage of the game, this is bad, right? It's uncastable uh, until probably turn five or six at the earliest. It's very bad when you're behind or when you're losing. Uh, it has no effect on the board. It's probably not necessary when you're winning. Like if you're already winning, usually what you want to do is kind of like remove the final threat or like kind of close out the game. And this doesn't, it's not terrible at that, but it's not the greatest. And at parody, like this card is a coin flip, right? It's game winning. uh, If your opponent has a ton of cards for some reason, or it's pretty close to useless or actually useless if you top deck it and your opponent is empty handed. So I don't know, I put all that together and I think this is is just an insta-cut.
1: Yeah, uh, totally agree. I think a lot of times when you play this, it obviously feels especially bad if it's a top deck, but I think many times when you play this on turn five or later, you're not even hitting the full three cards, maybe one or two if you're lucky. Uh, And honestly, even on turn five or six, I think I would rather have Psychic Spears so that I could play that and also something else. (laughs) Yeah, it's true. Maybe use the Psychic Spear to like see if your opponent has removal or a counter or something that's going to deal with your threat. And then also be able to play the threat, you know, make some kind of proactive move in the game. Three Tragedies, you're spending your whole turn to maybe hit a few cards and you don't know what they're going to be or whether they will matter. So, yeah, this feels like a pretty easy insta-cut. All right. Okay, let's talk about Throat Slitter. 4B for a 2-2 Rat Ninja with ninjutsu for two and a B. And whenever Throat Slitter deals combat damage to a player, destroy target non-black creature that player controls. So for me, Throat Slitter kind of joins our first card, Okiba Gang Shinobi, in this feels terrible as a normal, like just straight up casting it, but feels great as a ninja category. If you ninjutsu this out, this is sort of a Ren Flesh or Ren Spirit with a 2-2, uh, or a Doom Blade plus one mana for a 2-2. <laughs>
0: <laughs> it's Dark Banishing, right? It isn't Dark Banishing, oh, yeah. the story target. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. That old bad removal spell. There you go. Plus a
1: 2-2. So I think, you know, this, this would feel terrible to just straight up cast, but I think there will be plenty of moments where you're very happy to be ninja this out and it helps you you know, get rid of something really annoying or close out the game.
0: Yeah, I honestly, I kind of stopped thinking about the ninjas in the sense that I've I think I've just decided they all need to be in the queue because there aren't that many. And I love ninjas and the people love ninjas. So let's give them ninjas. Like so I, it kind of turned off my card evaluation brain a little bit here.
1: That's that's fair.
0: How uh how many of this ninja do you think we should have? I don't know they're they're funny because they occupy two spots on the mana curve and so I find them a little tricky to number I had it as a two but that feels a little too generous I think I'm a one on this thing
1: yeah I've got it at a one x meh I was looking back at some of the other ninjas we've seen in blue like ninja of the deep hours and kind of thinking we should have
0: four of those
1: yeah I feel like I'd rather see another ninja of the deep hours than another throat slitter
0: yeah, it, do, it would feel weird to me to have two Okiba Gang Shinobi and one of this. That feels backwards, doesn't it? This is oh, a much yeah. more core utility effect.
1: Yeah, and I guess they... If you're just straight up playing them, they're at the same spot on the curve.
0: Uh, well, no, this is... Oh, yeah, that's right. Yep. Yeah.
1: Somehow this manages to have an even worse body, though. <laughs> well, it's because because you're getting that Dark Banishing. Right. What if, what if we... Um errata ourselves a little bit and say one Okiba Gang Shinobi and
0: two of these. That feels right. That that, that feels right to me.
1: Okay. You, uh, you
0: update this one. I'll go back and change the Shinobi. Sounds like game plan. Oh, also you asked in the notes what I think of this art. I really don't like this art. Um, first, as I think our audience probably knows by now, I'm, I'm not a huge fan of the... Uh, I don't have anything against cleavage. I don't really love it when it's just sort of gratuitous and silly in art. And I find it silly, really silly here the perspective here is pretty confusing for me there's a lot of muscle going on but i do like the guy's terror the victim's terrified face and i like the uh the little lanterns in the background that's kind of fun
1: i i like this one a lot i don't think it's really gratuitous obviously you've got the the fetish gear for this <laughs> because it's a rat ninja but yeah just like this feels so dynamic like it's kind of the opposite of Psychic Spear, where the art felt very, very staged and choreographed. This looks like you just turned a corner in a cemetery and saw a rat ninja in the middle of leaping onto this this completely terrified samurai traveler, not really sure. Yeah, it's just like very dynamic and evocative.
0: I kind of feel like it puts you into the uh, victim's
1: place a little bit. A little bit, yeah, because you like the throat slitter. Obviously, it's a uh, a rat, so a little harder to relate to, but it's face is also covered and their
0: mat and their throat slitters masked yeah yeah i I mean i guess i can safely say her face is covered all right let's go to uh believe it or not the protagonist of the block you wouldn't really know it from his card though toshiro umazawa toshiro umazawa is one and a b for a 2-2 legendary human samurai he has bushido one and whenever a creature an opponent controls dies you may cast target instant card from your graveyard if that spell would be put into a graveyard, exile it instead. Okay, so this is, uh, I think, one of the funkiest black cards ever. Um, it does something that... Uh, are there any other black cards that do anything remotely close to this, like encouraging you to play instants? I, I can't think of any. Not that I know of. Yeah, so we've got a three mana 2-2 two, two that when you kill opponents' things, lets you get a free recast on an instant. That is so out there that honestly, I struggle to evaluate the effect a little bit. Yeah, the obvious thing this wants you to do is just play it with removal spells, right? You target an opponent's creature, um, your instant goes to the graveyard on a resolution, their creature uh, is dead, um, and then you get that same removal spell back, uh, or you get a second cast on that removal spell. That's pretty good. I mean, it's not, it's weird and it's tough to evaluate, but I think if I just ignore like any esoteric use cases, just doubling up your removal spells on a body that's not completely embarrassing, feels good enough to me. Plus, of course, Toshiro Umizawa is the protagonist of the original Kamigawa block story, and I feel like I just can't cut him. That that seems churlish.
1: It is It is really tough to evaluate, um, especially hitting only instants and not sorceries. Like It's hard to think of any other card that does that, like cares about instants and not, list, yeah. not sorceries. So that, that feels like a, a really strange and interesting wrinkle and makes me wonder, you know, if it was was it both before and there was some sorcery that was too much of a problem or, you know, what
0: was going on. I wonder if it's related to the timing restriction, because you have to recast it like right then.
1: Oh right. When it when the creature is put into a graveyard
0: for play. Right.
1: That is a a good segue into why I think he's probably not that good. Um the timing of this ability is only sort of controllable. Like the the scenario where you are using Toshiro to just kind of play your removal spell over and over again is very high ceiling. Like that could be game ending and a really like fun and cool thing to do. This could be really awesome with Glacial Ray, a two mana, you know, burn for two spell. But he doesn't, like he doesn't really work with combat tricks at all because the opponent's creature won't die until it's too late for that trickiness to matter. After damage is dealt, uh, if you end up having a deck that doesn't have many instants or instants that don't really do much, then Toshiro's just sort of a Kitsune Blade Master without first strike. So I don't know how good or reliable he's going to end up being, but I I do think you're right that like he's he is literally the
0: protagonist of of this whole storyline. Like he's gotta be in. Well and I do wonder if he needs to be that reliable because I feel like, you know, I rend flesh Kill your thing, and then I get to instantly get another free Ren flesh to kill your other thing. Like, I feel like that is just good enough on its own. I mean, that won't always happen, but I feel like we don't, you don't need like any esoteric things to just go, yeah, double up all your instant speed black removal. That's a good thing.
1: Yeah. Yeah. It's still like a little bit, I don't, I don't want to be too, too nitpicky here, but you know, you're needing to pay for both of those. No, no, the oh, no, you're right. You, I,
0: I totally missed that. You do have to pay the mana cost. Yeah, oh, it's God. not. It's not cast it without paying its mana cost. Oh, like this is a lot worse than I thought. Got oh, to pay dear. It, so, you know that. We're, we need a bell for when we fail to read a card. Uh, we gonna, do, we, we do. need a bell for that. We do. I
1: feel like the ceiling there still is sort of high, but, you know, in that scenario, you need to have six. You've got to have Toshiro out. He's got to survive a while, and then you need six mana to be able to pull off this double yeah, rent flesh or rent spirit, and the timing it just makes it so hard because you need to have it at the exact moment. The cre- you know you don't get to space it out at all. You don't get to say like, oh, next turn I'm gonna cast out from my graveyard. You need two or, targets right then. Exactly. You need to have two targets. You need to have the mana. You need to have the spell at the right time. There's like it. It is a may though, so you you don't lose it. You don't lose the thing if you don't take your shot. You can do it later. Yeah, that's that's true. It doesn't get exiled just from that trigger. You can just choose not to it so yeah i mean he's gonna be in the cube i guess the question is at what rating
0: yeah i I think the rating for me is auto include just because he's literally the protagonist of the story like i I feel like unless this card was like a three mana zero one he's going in the cube I can live with that. Something kind of interesting about him. So Toshiro has a good number of descendants in both a mechanical and a literal sense. So Toshiro is actually named after Tetsuo Umizawa from all the way back in legends who exists on Dominaria. And as I understand the plot, and I'm not an expert on this, Toshiro Umizawa goes through the whole convoluted plot of Kamigawa at the end of the block, despite saving the plane, uh, not really because he was trying, but just because it happened to coincide with his own interests. He uh, has, breached his bargain with i want to say the myogen of knight's reach uh who then exiles him from kamigawa's punishment to dominaria where he founds kind of a whole clan of whom tetsuo umizawa is a part mm. and so i love that little there's like a a callback here to legends that also goes forward in time because one of the weird things about kamigawa block is it takes place like a thousand years before the rest of the magic plot for some reason but then we have another call back to his descendants later on in later printings in Satoru Omizawa Umizawa and Tatsuko Umizawa. Uh, and so I love that we've got this kind of back and forth thing of his descendants. Some were printed before him and some were printed afterward. I think that's super fun. And I also find it interesting. He's got some, he doesn't have any mechanical descendants. So of course, uh, more famous than the Toshiro Umizawa card is uh, his famous jite, Umizawa's jite, which we will talk about in a few episodes and is far more famous and powerful and iconic than he is. Uh, and so two cards that directly reference him later, Umizawa's charm uh, from Modern Horizons 1 and life of Toshiro Umizawa. Um, from Neon Dynasty, both do all the Umazawa's Jite effects. And I just think that's kind of funny that he's got several namesake cards, none of whom mechanically reference this weird like black instant tribal thing. They're all kind of riffing off uh, the Jite instead. I really
1: wonder where this ability came from. And then, you know, if there was kind of a a look back in the mirror at Toshiro and deciding, yeah, maybe that, didn't work too well.
0: I kind of wonder if it's, you know, another case of too much top-down design because as I vaguely remember the the novels, he, one of the things about Toshiro is he is both a uh, a kind of rogue samurai, but he's also a pretty powerful spellcaster. And so I feel like, honestly, this is just samurai equals Bushido plus spellcaster equals instance.
1: I'll, I'll add on some, some half-remembered lore from reading those novels two decades ago. I think that he becomes sort of a, a blood... Mage? Yeah, he has a pact with um what's his name? Uh Hiretsugu, right? Right, right. And they become sort of blood brothers or something. So his magic I think his magic is tied in with blood or killing in some way, so that does, you know, work with his effects. So that's kind of cool.
0: You know, Connor, we should uh we should make a, a pact to read the original Kamigawa novels and do an episode on them. Is is this a blood pact like between Toshiro and Hiratsugu? I'm not sure. I want to make it a blood pack because I think I want to sleep on it first. <laughs> um, I, I was going to say I might need a little time to evaluate that. All right, yeah, it's a it's a lot of words to commit to. It is. All right, so you are you willing to auto include despite the weirdness of this thing? Uh, yeah, he's he's an in auto include, and
1: uh, we should probably start saving up for the uh, foil version of Toshiro, who costs one hundred and fifty dollars. <laughs> what is that driven by? <laughs>
0: this his iconic uh place in the storyline are there vorthoses who spend that much on it's not like he has any competitive relevance right and he's barely played in edh wow what is driving that
1: yeah if there's any listeners out there who own a foil toshiro umezawa or know why anyone would pay 150 for one please let us know
0: Yeah, I mean, I guess he does command 1,700 decks and appear in a further 2,000, which is a lot more than I would think.
1: Yeah, yeah.
0: Huh. I mean, he's certainly unique. Like, as a unique black mono-black commander, it doesn't get much weirder than this. Yeah, that'd be a real foil flex. Yeah, honestly, in this episode, like, Shirei and uh, Toshiro, we're getting some of the most unique black mono-black commanders in the whole game. Let's close on a truly unique mono-black commander, huh, Connor? (laughs) Uh yeah,
1: this uh this could be your commander. This is Yukora the prisoner, two BB for a five five legendary demon spirit. So uh get your EDH deck list ready. When Yukora the prisoner leaves play, sacrifice all non-ogre creatures. You could <laughs> Okay, so I want to say just no, from the flavor outside, text. He's got oh, such flavor text. great flavor, flavor text. text. That's it's even longer than the rules text. I got to read that. It took 99 monks to weave the spell that trapped Eucora. Upon the death of the 99, the spell was broken and the demon returned to the mortal world seeking vengeance for its imprisonment. I I I really like that flavor text. I like that it's it's telling this like much smaller story than the stakes of the entire, you know, plane being ravaged by a kami war this is just like one big bad demon spirit that long ago 99 monks sealed away and now he's back
0: i love it it's like a whole story in three sentences and there's like layers that i feel like immediately start unfurling in your brain of like 99 monks and then they all died off who's the last one to die did he think about the consequences when he would eventually die like i don't know i think is great yes who's
1: who is yukora seeking vengeance upon if all the monks have died yeah just really good stuff with that out of the way, I have to say that I have been absolutely <laughs> dumpstered by <laughs> my own Yukor, the prisoner, <laughs> in some games we played. He dies, the rest of the board dies with him, unless you are very much in the Ogre Oni archetype. <laughs> but I kind of want to give him another chance.
0: <laughs> <laughs> you are so generous to this Ogre Oni thing.
1: He's I I am his prisoner.
0: Like He's a 4-mana 5-5 five five in Kamigawa. <laughs> I feel like you may have, like, regressed to, uh, like, a 2004 brand new to Magic, Connor, who's just like, four mana, five, five. Oh my god! I think I have, you know, like, I, you know, this is not a time, this was not
1: a time of, of Sheoldrids, this was a, a time no. of four mana, five, fives that uh,
0: regeki your own side of the board when they die. So, uh, give me the, give me the case here, Connor, like, what is your case for including this in the cube?
1: Okay, well, I want to bring in some backup. I found at least a few players from back in the day commenting on the 2005 internet uh, that were pretty high on Yukor the Prisoner, mostly in Limited, as just a pretty big threat that comes out before a lot of decks are able to deal with him, and that can just close out the game. If you have no other board, his effect is meaningless. If you You know, top-deck him when you've got nothing else going on. You're pretty happy to see you, Korra. So I think he has, like, pretty big potential upside when so many of the creatures in this environment are just so pathetic. He is black, which means he has effectively protection from a lot of the removal spells in Kamigawa. So I I think he can actually finish games and do it pretty quickly. It has not happened for me yet, but it seems possible.
0: Boy, I I don't really buy that this can be good. Um, I'm just not sure there's enough of a synergistic thing going on, but you know what, we we can just keep rolling with it. Um and we'll give you we'll give you a couple more playtest rounds to try to make it work. All right.
1: Uh how about how about this? Let me try another another line of line of attack with you. <laughs> okay. Think about think of Yukora as a Phyrexian obliterator. A four mana five five. (laughs) But he obliterates your your board (laughs) instead of your opponent's.
0: (laughs) (laughs) How do you like him now? He's easier to cast than the obliterator too. That's true. You can splash for you, Cora. Wow. I mean, when you put it like that. (laughs) The the obliterator part or the splashing? No, just the whole thing. I mean, the whole package is just... uh, He's just chaining me down with his value. Right? Okay, now there's... Two things
1: I like less about Yukora. The first one is that Yukora forces you to sacrifice all non-ogre creatures you control, but you it does make you sacrifice all demons you control. I know, what's with that? What is his problem? That really bothers. like I guess he just hates all the other demons too. But that really bothers me like He wants all the worship, maybe guess. But I don't like that from a flavor perspective, really. And it also just feels like a really weird extra slap in the face. Like, this would not be too good if
0: it also let you keep... Right, if you have already committed to that, like, come on. Yes. Yeah, if you have a
1: board of demons and ogres because you've committed to that deck, then don't make me, you know, don't make me lose all my demons and keep, like, some 3-3 ogres.
0: I'm completely with you, Connor. That's That's BS.
1: Yeah, I don't like that. And honestly, I hate this art.
0: <laughs> I. Uh, why do you hate it? I feel kind of neutral about it. It's very comic book.
1: It is very comic book. It's extremely symmetrical. Um, I'm getting back on my symmetry horse here. but mm-hmm. I this... need another bell for that. Yeah, <laughs> yeah so bell, get... Like a double bell. Ding, yeah, you ding. need a double, identical double bell for symmetry. But this one really, th- this is like the symmetry to end all symmetry. So like, Yukora himself is completely symmetrical other than his hands. And then the real kicker here is that the chains, because he's, he's covered in chains, they're like pierced through his skin and like just draping off his shoulders. He's holding them in his hands. They're all over the place. And the chains are also largely symmetrical. If you look at the top of his head, the like pattern of chains, identical around his chin, extremely similar. The chains hanging off of his it is kind of
0: weird. You, you'd think there'd be a little more chaos going on there, a little more entropy. Right. And, you know, it's not like Tony Cizullo, uh, like, just
1: copied half of it and then pasted it onto the other half of the canvas. Like, Are you sure about
0: that? He might have. He it might. is. You're right. It is, have. like, almost like, almost like it was, he drew half and, like, the other half is from a mirror. It is almost perfectly special. Yeah,
1: yeah. Like, there's a, you know, a tool in, in Procreate and I'm sure other, Drawing apps where you can just have it mirror whatever you're doing on the other side of the campus, and this feels like that's what was happening here.
0: Something I'm a little confused by in the art is these two like lights, like LED lights, that the are... headlights. Yeah, what what are those about? What's the deal? <laughs> I do not know. for For a piece that's otherwise very kind of literal and on the nose, I these two are like what 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 is the deal with these? I cannot figure out anything <laughs> to do with them. You know what Yukora looks like. He looks
1: like a really bad tattoo. <laughs> that, that, you still want him in the cube. I want him in the we can maybe we can put some duct tape over the the image or we can paste another card on top of it. Or, yeah, or let's you can find write an non
0: Ogre non-demon. You could just put a little insert there. Yeah, just errata it. Yeah, just errata it. I'm not totally opposed to that. If any card is worth errataing, it's definitely this iconic card.
1: Let's see, let's see how much Yukor is. If I could just pick one up. Right on there. It's yeah. more than
0: 42 cents. Something's wrong.
1: Well, it's 41 cents. So we can pay. Oh my up. gosh. I did not look, <laughs> listeners. <laughs> really? No, it's just blind. He is 41 cents. So I think we need to get Yukora and then write with a little ballpoint pen, non demon.
0: Yeah, I All right, so let's do that. Uh I still don't really want it, but I'm fine if you want to include it. One, before we move off this, I would re- be remiss if I didn't mention a super fun EDH deck I found from a blog called Joel Lurks's Magic the Gathering Discussion, um which has only two posts from back in 2019. They're both about really quirky EDH decks, and this is a quirk and a half, um trying to make a uh, you uh downside into an upside the ability for your whole board to die repeatedly uh and it's if you like that kind of wacky johnny stuff just check it out it's a really fun post i'll link it in the show notes that does sound pretty fun we
1: might need to get another commander game going here
0: all right uh, we didn't actually name a rating what is your rating connor i'm just i'm just gonna abdicate here I'm gonna this defer. is
1: uh the build around that we foreshadowed with scourge of numai
0: sure well connor i think you cora has held us all prisoner long enough
1: oh, he sure has
0: um, you can uh, follow the show on uh, youtube or on your favorite podcast app so you don't miss an episode uh, and if you liked it uh upvote on Reddit, comment on Reddit or YouTube, you know, something like that really helps people discover the show, uh, helps us reach some new audiences. And it means a lot to us. Um, if you did have thoughts on any of the cards we shared today, uh, iconic cards like Ucora or forgettable cards, like the ones people actually play, let us know. We'd uh, be interested to hear through comments. You can always email us clockspinningpodcast at gmail.com. Um, next time we'll be back with, I don't know, some other set of old weird cards, but until then I'm Austin and I'm Connor. Thanks for listening.